We want to thank you for joining us at Cowboy Junction Church today. As you hear this message, we pray that your faith will grow and you will be both encouraged and challenged. We would really love it too if you would subscribe, rate, review, and share this online. You can also help us reach others by partnering with us financially. You can easily give a one-time gift or set up a recurring gift at cowboyjunctionchurch.com slash give. We hope you enjoy the message today. some of the questions that our college kids and some random uh, folks at Cowboy Junction text in. And uh, I think those are great questions. Uh, those are questions worth asking. If you're not familiar with what we're doing uh, for the next several weeks, what we've done for a couple weeks before this, is uh, we've invited a bunch of college kids and some classes at USW to, to ask some questions. And let me just tell you about these questions real quick. Uh, there was 100 and 180, 150 of them. I think there was a lot. And um, uh, every one of them was, re- was respectful. Every one of them was uh, well thought out, and they're good questions. There was one of them that made me completely uncomfortable, and you will never know what that question was. Uh, it was it was a joy to get to see that there was so much inquisitiveness, and this was just some of the ones that popped up from those questions. Then on top of that, you guys got to text in some questions about this series, and I thought that was fantastic. Uh, we're up to 250 questions, I think, now, and uh, we'll never, ever be able to touch on every one of them. But you begin to find a pattern in that all of these questions, you begin to group them up, and, and, and then that's where we built this series. Where do we go, and what are we talking about? Today, we're going to talk about God, and uh, who is God? And uh, we believe that um, there's some great questions as to, yeah, but why, but answering the questions that we should be asking. You should be asking questions about God. Uh, when I grew up, let me just tell you my backstory. When I grew up, I've been a fantastic church. It was a wonderful church. Good, 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 good people. However, they just um, didn't have a lot of answers. It wasn't that they didn't want answers. It's just that they just kind of looked at if you didn't have an answer, it brought about doubt. If you asked a question and the answer couldn't be provided, it stirred up doubt. And, and that really never happened. When I left home and went to Bible college, if you will, uh, discipleship college, all of these things that taught me how to live and breathe and, 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 and watch Jesus and live for Jesus. And, and when I went to these places, it was amazing that at home you couldn't ask questions because they thought that produced doubt. But then when you went to college, they brought up answers to questions you should be asking that actually brought a faith that you became deeper and broader and wider. And it was amazing that around people who asked great questions, they got great answers. But at home where you didn't ask questions, your faith stayed shallow. And I thought this was a fun series to go into as we talk about this today. And, and, and Chris's uh, video, that he just a little a quick uh, help us, if you will, video, uh, this is a deep, broad, massive subject, and a lot of work went in today. So if you need to leave, just kind of stay outside. The video's out there, and you can, you can watch with Sal out there. Sal's out there. He's a good guy. He'll introduce himself when he goes out there, and he'll buy you a cup of coffee, by the way, too. It'll be fantastic. With that, today, would you just join me in prayer? Let's pray. Father, we love you. <clears throat> we, love, we, thank you. we love thinking about you. We love asking questions about you. And Lord, there are people in this room today who uh, grew up a certain way, was taught a certain thing, was explained not from Scripture but from opinion on how we decide who you are. And Father, I ask today that this would not draw them closer to a church or even me as a pastor, but today something would just take place that has not taken place in a long time or if at all, that they would take one step closer to you. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place, and we invite you, and we love you, and we thank you for who you are. Open our ears to hear and our hearts to receive. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Anybody know what to do with this? Have y'all ever got, your kids got one of these too? It's like, it's like this moment that, uh, 
we have to make a decision. Do we let our kids play with video games or fidget spinners? You know, the, the dilemma of a parent. Well, this is going to help us a little bit today because we are going to talk about God. And um, in the whole idea of who God is, there's a word that pops up called the Trinity. Nowhere in Scripture do you see the word Trinity. The word Trinity comes about by a group of, of leaders, men, who came together in, in 325 A.D. And these group of men, based on what was found in Scripture... The whole identity, personality, and persons of God invented the word Trinity to describe the conversation that needed to be taking place between who God is. Who is God? Instead of bringing up God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, these men used the word Trinity to describe the different persons of God. Um, this is a fun little thing. We're going to get to it in a minute. But um, I, I, I want to go back to my question. Who is God? And it really depends on who you're talking about. If you're in this room and you said, I have no idea what you're talking about, relax. Because one of the things that we do have to realize is for some people, when it comes to knowing who God is, you've never, ever heard of there being God the Father, God the Son, or God the Holy Spirit. Okay, And this is really interesting because um, you're about to be taken into a whole new faith journey that will actually allow you to recognize who you're dealing with in each unique situation of wherever you go in your relationship with God. Okay, So today I want to start off and I want to ask who is God. Okay, And the first thing that I want to do is I want to pay attention to a lot of scripture found about God the Father. Now, let me just tell you, a lot of scripture should intimidate you. You should not go by my opinion on this. I wanted to provide with you scripture. And, and is Pastor Jeff here? Pastor Jeff is not here. Uh, if you've got a phone, if at any point uh, these pictures, these illustrations, these scriptures pop up on here and you go, ooh, that's good, and you're not good at taking notes or you're just stubborn and you won't take notes, pull out your phone and take a picture. That, that never fails, okay? But um, with that, I want... If you like to turn to your Bibles, you can turn to 1 John chapter 1, and today we're going to get there eventually, but right now, who is God? Here we go. In John chapter 4, verse 24, it says this, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. 1 John chapter 4, 16 says this, and we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. Everybody say that. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Revelation chapter 22 verse 13 says this, I am. Everybody say I am. I am. This is a resounding thing that continues to show up over and over and over again in scripture. It shows up in the Old Testament. It also shows up in the New Testament. And he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. This is who God is. He has been here before we got here, and he will be here after we end. There is no way that our minds could wrap around the depth, the width, width the size, the eternity of God. However, God is I am, the Alpha and the Omega. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 4, it says, He, capital H, He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all His ways are just, a God of truth and without injustice. Righteousness and upright is He. This is such a powerful little portion of Deuteronomy here because it says that our God, He is perfect. His ways are even if you don't understand them, are always just. He is a God of truth and without iniquity, righteousness and upright is he. Most, one of the most fascinating portions of scriptures, one of my favorites, is in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. Look at the first five words. It says, and God said to Moses, you could unpack these five words for the rest of your life, the fact that God would speak to Moses. And God said, which means God approached, God turned to and spoke to Moses. God said to Moses, and then the words, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, 
I am, has sent me to you. One of the most wonderful, wonderful scriptures to think of the idea that God revealed himself to Moses in a way that even with revealing and saying who he is was still so difficult to wrap your, your entire brain around the fact that God said, my name is I am. In the whole trinity of God, we just talked about God the Father, but now let's talk about God the Son. Who is Jesus? This is a fun study. In John chapter 14, verse 6, it says, Jesus said to him, interesting beginning here, I am, see it again? Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In John chapter 10, verse 30, it says, and the I and the Father are one. And that's a very interesting uh, sentence when it becomes uh, a conversation about the Trinity. In that sometimes we look at them as two separate individuals. God the Father, God the Son. And that's not what Jesus says here. He uses the word we are one. You find that it says it again in John chapter 8 verse 58. Jesus said to them, truly, truly I say to you. Before Abraham, that's very important because this speaks to so many levels of people who, who were under the old covenant and Jesus now brings the new covenant, but, but actually complements the old covenant as he brings and establishes the new covenant. And he says, before Abraham, which is such a key figure in our faith, I am and the Father are one. I am, I and the Father are one. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, it says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. In Mark chapter 12, verse 29, it says this, Jesus answered, The most important is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Very great scripture. Um, a minute ago, I told you to turn to John chapter 1, verse 1. This is, this is, we've read a lot of scripture, but John chapter 1, verse 1 is one of the most beautiful, explained portions of scripture in the identity of who the word is and the word being Jesus. Listen closely, it says this. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Now, Think about that. The word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, and this man came from a witness. This is John the Baptist who prepared the way of Jesus' arrival. He says, to bear witness to the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Listen to the details of the creation story in Jesus here. It says, and, and he was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. Very interesting. Even though he made everything, the world did not recognize him when he came to the world. He came to his own, his own people, but his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we behold his we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten son, full of and this is two things you see over and over told about Jesus. He came with grace and truth. Everybody say grace and truth. Grace. And those two things are important. Jesus didn't come with grace. He came with grace and truth. And Jesus didn't just come with truth. He came with grace and truth. Okay? He goes on. Jesus bore witness of him. John, John bore witness of him and cried out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. 
No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. So we have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And a lot of people, when they view the Holy Spirit, they don't know what to think because we always think about questions about God and we always have questions about Jesus. And Jesus is always presented to us in the world we live in, especially come Christmas time and Easter time. And we have this understanding of Jesus. But when it comes to Holy Spirit, is, he, is, is the Holy Spirit more or less the junior high JV team of the God Squad? Let's think about that. We don't talk about him much. He, he, around here, we love to talk about him because one of the things that we realize is is that when you start looking at who God is, we're more and more aware that Holy Spirit as an individual, as a person, is the realness of everything that God does great in our life. Let me read you a scripture, John chapter 14, verse 16. And it says, this is Jesus speaking. Just keep that in mind. The quotes here are because Jesus is speaking. Maybe in the Bible that you're looking at right now, it's red letter, meaning Jesus said it. And Jesus said, I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. That he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth. Whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. Just take a quick pause on, on who God the Holy Spirit is. Um, in philosophy class, if you ever took a philosophy class, one of the first questions that they ask in philosophy class is, what makes a person a person? What makes a person a person? This question is very important for theological reasons too because in a lot of debates with our government right now, the question comes up, what makes a person a person? When does a person become a person? And in philosophy class, because it's not theological class, now we all begin to start looking at, well, what makes a person a person? And this is the definition of what makes a person a person. A person is being that, uh, a person is a being that has certain capabilities or attributes such as reason, morality, consciousness of self-conscious, and being a part of a culturally established form of social relations such as kinship, ownership of property, or legal responsibility. Once again, this isn't our definition of a person. This comes from your philosophy class. And so they say a person can do all these things. When you can do these things, you become a person. And so the reason I want to bring this up is because we're talking about who God, the Holy Spirit is, and now I want to look at Scripture, and, and let's see what he has done. And then you define whether he's just the JV squad or the God crew, or, or he's actually a person of equal and great value as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And this is what Scripture tells us this. It says that in John chapter 14, verse 26, that Holy Spirit teaches and reminds us. It says, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and he'll bring to your remembrance does anybody have trouble remembering things holy spirit teaches us all things and it causes us to remember things that he's taught us all things that he said to you that's one of the qualities of holy spirit is holy spirit a person look at the next verse ephesians chapter 4 verse 30 it says holy spirit grieves it says don't grieve the holy spirit and it says that you see this person who has the ability to just oh my gosh grieve. In uh, Romans chapter 5 verse 3 it tells us that Holy Spirit teaches us and shows us how to love. If you struggle with people, if you struggle with the world we live in, you struggle with loving others, it says not only that but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance character and character hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through who? The Holy Spirit who has been given to us you don't have to figure out how to do stuff. You don't have to figure out how to love people. Even in your present sufferings, Holy Spirit is the one who shows you. He teaches you how to love. Is Holy Spirit a person? Let's, let's look at something else. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4, it says the Holy Spirit gives gifts. He gives gifts. All the gifts that our Father has for us to be the people that he's called us to be, Holy Spirit says, I'm the guy you come talk to. And I equip you, I make you ready, I make you a warrior, I make you humble. These are all the qualities of gifts that I give you. And so he's a giver of gifts. Another thing that we see is in Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Uh, this is one of the coolest scriptures. He guides your prayers. So you don't just pray randomly. You don't wake up and say, oh God, have you ever done the, 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 the prayer rock? It's like when you wake up and you know you're supposed to pray, but you don't want to pray for it. You say, oh God, 
Um, I just pray for my kids. I pray the Cowboys win. And you do, and you do the prayer rock. Because you don't want to pray. You don't want to pray. Here's, here's the power of the Holy Spirit. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. This is a person who even shows you how to pray. Things about somebody that you never knew and he instructs you, pray for them in this area. Pray for you in this area. Pray for your future in this area. And he directs you. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8 it says that he uses you for evangelism. That he equips you. And I love this this scripture. It says, but you will receive power when when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Which means you don't have to figure out how to tell your friends about Jesus. All you got to do is just wait for him to give you the right words. Holy Spirit will equip you and guide you and put you right where you're supposed to be. This is a beautiful illustration. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And, and the whole story of this I want to show you today is for those in this room who have never known that God was the three but one God, uh, this, is, this, is, this is how we see each individual quality, but this is, this is the story of God. This is who he is. And, and, and as awesome as this illustrated is, illustration is, and maybe you grew up in church where they, when growing up in Sunday school, they taught you the egg. You know, they boiled an egg and you had the shell, the white and the yellow. And they said, it's all the same egg, but it's all different parts of the egg. Maybe the story of the, of the water, you have ice, steam, and, and water. And that represents uh, the, the trinity of God. Maybe you've got a cool pastor and he pulls out a fidget spinner and t- tells you about <laughs> God like that. This is the, as, as awesome as this illustration is, it's just for the folks that are in the room that just never knew this is the qualities and persons of God but as awesome as this is, it's not even close. And I'm almost embarrassed to use it because when you begin to study the Trinity of God, it is much, much, much broader and deeper and wiser than that. Um, the fact is, is that throughout Scripture, the Trinity is brought up. Old Testament, look at the, this is one of the oldest Scriptures found in the Bible. The only older Scriptures than this is the book of Job. And in, uh, excuse me, Genesis. Yeah, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Look in close, look very closely. It says, and God said. This is the creation story. And so this is the very beginning of how we all got here. Animals got here. Plants got here. The world got here. And the very first word, and God said, let us stop. Isn't it very interesting? At the very beginning, God said, and let us. He didn't say, and, and I will, or let me He said, and let us. Now, the interesting thing about this, let me read it a little bit. Make man in our own image, after our own likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Who is the us we're talking about here? This is a very fantastic word. The word here for God is Elohim. If you want to really say it correctly in the Hebrew, Elohim. Okay? (laughs) Elohim. Okay? And it's two words in one, Elohim. It's the word to describe God. Elo is the name of God. Him is the name of God. But the interesting thing is Elo is singular God. Him is plural God. And in one word, the word that we have called him from the beginning of Genesis, Elohim, is this one but plural God from the very beginning. One of my favorite portions of New Testament in describing the Trinity can be found at Jesus' baptism. In Mark chapter 1, uh, verse 9, uh, verse 19, excuse me, verse 9, it, it, look, at, look at how this whole thing comes together. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Remember the baptism? And immediately, coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting. And the spirit descending upon him like a dove. And then there was a voice. And the voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And this is one of the coolest New Testament scriptures of the Trinity coming together. Each separate, but each coming together in this one harmony of we approve 
of what's happening here. It is the will of all three of us to rescue humanity. The voice being the father saying, I am well pleased in my son. The dove ascending from heaven and resting uh, over Jesus. And Jesus, who was not even uh, on the level of humanity, but became human so that we could know that the entire heart of Trinity is to rescue, is to love us. Uh, It's pretty amazing when you think about it. Uh, The reason why this uh, does not give the Trinity all that it deserves is because if you can imagine stopping for a moment, and if there's one word to describe Trinity, it's complete and perfect unity. And see, as fast as you could spin this, as hard as you could spin it, there, there, is, still, there is still a separation. And can you imagine, and, and I'm going to be very careful, the word being. Imagine God-type beings, God-class beings. We're not talking angels here. Angels cannot do what they can do. We're not talking about demons. Demons cannot do what they do. Humans cannot do what they do. Animals cannot do what they do. There is nothing in the entire universe at the quality and and, and excellence and and its standard, a place of divine God-class beings. And the reason why I'm nervous about that is I think you guys watched way too many sci-fi messages. Okay, or sci-fi movies. And the first thing that comes to mind is, oh my gosh, History Channel was right. We, they were a bunch of aliens. Stop. You've watched way too many TV shows. Stop for a minute and just, the reason I use the word being is because you are a human being. You are a human being and you were created in the image of God. Okay? And when I say being, I'm talking about a God class of three that each and every one of them are so different but they are so perfect that they can come together and you are unable to recognize the difference between the three and having the ability that we can't even understand, but they come together and and cause this thing, this perfect union that we call God. Now, let me tell you why this is such important. When you talk about God the Father, God the Son, and God Holy Spirit, there is not a thought that one thinks that the other two don't think. There is not a will that one has that the other two don't will it also. There has never been a moment in all of eternity that one wanted to go this way and two wanted to go that way. There has never been an absent thought. There has never been an inkling. In all perfectness and unity, these three God-class beings have come together and they think the same thoughts. They want the same things. They created, they were all there in everything they've done and there is a perfect unity. Let me tell you why this is so important. A 100% unity in the Trinity The best example I have is Heather and I's marriage, your marriage. At best, on our best day, Heather and I were 75% united. On our best day. That should make some of you feel good, okay? And the reason why I bring this up is because I just want to show you something. The the best I can imagine was the day when when Brady was born. And you just got to think, she's carried this child for nine months. I've been wanting to be a dad for so long. We have bags packed. And I call it our perfect day because in that one moment, she just looked at me and she goes, oh my gosh. And I went, now? And I mean, it was, it was without even words, we knew exactly what to do. I didn't have to ask her if she wants to get in the car. <laughs> Are you following me? It was like, I'm carrying bags and she's walking. We're not even talking about it. And we're moving that way. We get into the car. I don't, I don't have to ask her if she wants me to speed. <laughs> I, can, I know, I'm supposed to speed, I'm supposed to speed, I'm supposed to drive fast. We've got to get there. I don't have to ask her if I need to open the door. There is a, such a perfect harmony taking place. We walk in, and, 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 and there's this moment that I'm like, do you need anything? And she says, get away from me. And, and what did I do? I got away from her. It was just so perfect. It was just it was like we were reading each other's minds, okay? And then along comes Brady, and Brady's sitting there, and I'm holding her hand, and she's squeezing tight. She's breathing, and Brady comes out, and oh my gosh, and it's right there without even saying it, without even saying it. I look at her, and she looks at me, and we instantly knew we will take care of this child for the rest of our life. Did you think I needed to turn to my wife and say, guess what I just came up with? <laughs> we, didn't even, we didn't even talk about it. In that one moment, we were so, we were so spot on united. Same thing goes when I turned to her and said, this is the most beautiful child I've ever seen in my life. I didn't even need to say it because I looked at her eyes and she was like. <laughs> okay, and, and in that one moment, I, tur- you know, I turned to her and I said, we should have more. And she's just like, no, we're not having more. And so, we're, so you see, we're not, 
100% perfect. At our best, on our best day of marriage, we're 75, I'm guessing. Imagine, take, go beyond anything you can have ever think, thought of before. Imagine a God class of people, of a persons, of what we would call God, who each is individual, but can come together to never think a second thought that another one hasn't thought of. If we had to describe who God is, he is perfect, absolutely perfect. And the reason why this is such a big deal, the reason why this is a big thing, is because, look at this illustration. This is the story of God. This is what we're all here about. We want to know more about God. Maybe you've never thought about these things. Maybe you didn't know these things. But in all that we've learned so far, if I could wrap it up and give an illustration, that's it. Isn't that incredible? That took weeks to put together, okay? But here's what we do, okay? This is why we struggle with God so much, is because there's God and there's everything else. We tend to take our point of reference, our experiences, our jadedness, what people have done to us, things that have happened to us, people who we have lost, and we didn't know why we lost them. Our brokenheartedness, and there seems to be everything else, and we want to do the next slide. We, we, we tend to want to change God, and God never changes. We tend to want God to apologize, but God knows way more than we do. We tend to uh, want God to be different, and we approach God to change him. And, and the, the best illustration I have, I brought this huge rock, and so many people said, why have you brought this huge thing in here? I'm going to show you. Here's why. Because if this could represent the rock, if this could represent whatever it is we want to change, maybe it's the church. You don't like the church's stance on different things. Maybe you don't like the idea that, that, that bad things have happened to good people. Maybe you don't like and you want to, you want to move God. You want to change God. And you, with all of your heart, with all of your power, you're, you're trying to change God and God doesn't change. God is God. And no matter how you do view everything else in life, this is him. And here's the funny thing. I want to just show you real quick. What if I was to go get a sledgehammer? And just destroy this rock. Just go to town and destroy this rock right before your eyes. You were focusing on the rock and you didn't realize the rock's not heavy because the rock is heavy. There is an invisible force at work that you can't do anything about, but you tend to forget that it's not the rock's fault. Gravity is making it heavy. So you could change the rock, but it doesn't change the fact that gravity is work. And this is the story of God. You can get mad at the church and burn every church down in the world, but it doesn't change the fact that God is still God. You can get, get mad at the Bible and burn every Bible in the world, and it doesn't change the fact that his word is still here, whether it's in written form or not. It is in our hearts. It is all around us. God created the earth with his word. And we keep wanting to change God, and you're actually fighting against God instead of allowing God to go to work in you. And maybe that's the real issue. And it's something I think is very important. And it's something I wanted to talk to you about because we're going to get back to this. I'm going to, I'm going to close with just taking a look at all that we've read, all we've looked at. But if you've ever questioned God, you're not alone. If you've ever been angry at God, there has been some good people who were believers who noticed a glitch in the system. Okay. And I want to point out something, something very interesting, because I think everything we talked about is so important, but I now want to point to some of the questions that we've got. Um, here, here's a question that we've received. Um, here's one of the questions. We got that one. My grandfather was a good man. His life was cut short and could have been a blessing to so many people. Why does God allow men like him to die early and evil people get to live to be 90 years? Isn't that a great question? I mean, like, hey, God, what you got to say about that? Because I got people in my life, I, I, I think I would have loved to see them live longer than me, to tell you the truth. They could have lived my life for me, and they, I could have had a great life by now if they would have just lived forever and lived my life for me. But then I realize, well, what kind of faith is that for me to live through their faith for the rest of my life? These questions popped up all over, just questions about why does God do what he does? We're going to read some more in a minute. 
But when they canonized Scripture a long time ago, first the Old Testament and the New Testament, one of the coolest things that they did in the Old Testament when they canonized it, and they brought these books of the Bible in and said, we need to concentrate on these for the rest of our life. They included books of wisdom. And if you've ever studied the books of wisdom, it is fantastic. It's wonderful. The books of wisdom would be Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. And there's a couple more considered, but these are three, my three favorite ones. Proverbs is a fascinating book because it asks the question, what does a good life look like? What does a great life look like? I mean, hey, isn't it true that if you do what's wise, good things are going to happen from good choices? If you plant good seed, you're going to get a good crop. If you practice wisdom, you're going to live a wise life. And this whole book of wisdom, Proverbs, is talking to us and coaching on us about this incredible quality of make good decisions, be the wise person. But the teacher in Proverbs is not the person found in Ecclesiastes. Because in Ecclesiastes, something completely shifts, okay? In the book of Ecclesiastes, there's two individuals found in the book of Ecclesiastes. And one of them is the author. Everybody say author. Okay? And, and it, imagine someone who just loves to write. Just quin and, uh, pen, quill and paper and going 100 miles an hour and they just document everything. And they love to write and they're a bookworm and they write everything down. But the author has a friend. Maybe you've got this kind of friend. He's a critic. He is skeptical about everything. He has questioned why the sun comes up in the east and it sets in the west. And he's questioned why the wind blows from this direction. And he questions why babies come out backwards. And he comes out, and he does all of these things. His mind is a constant turning process. And maybe he's jaded. Maybe he's been through so much. But the author has a friend who's a critic. And one day the critic happens to say something that causes the author to say, you know what? People may ask that same question from now on, we should write these things down. So the author invites the critic over to home, the home one day, and he sets up tea. This is just how it goes on my mind. Just go with me here, okay? And these two people sit down, and Ecclesiastes is the author writing down everything the critic has to say. And the critic speaks up, and he says, have you ever noticed that Proverbs tells us, and he kind of uses this loosely, he says, wisdom says that if you do the right thing, good things are going to happen to you. But the critic jumps up and says, but I've noticed a glitch in the system. Have you ever noticed the randomness of life? Have you ever noticed that, uh, he said, I've seen with my own eyes that if you do the right thing, good things are going to happen. And if you do the right thing, good things are going to happen. If you do the right thing, good things are ha going to happen. But I have seen with my own eyes the people who did the right thing and something horrible, tragic, awful happened in their life. What gives, God? And the critic speaks up, and he begins to draw out this randomness. He said, I've noticed also the second thing. Have you ever thought that we think that we are the center of the universe? Have you ever just stopped for a minute and realized the only thought you can think is you, the only person in this world is you, the only one that matters in Walmart, Walmart's line is you? The only person driving the speed limit is you, and everything about life just happens to be wrapped around you. But the critic of Ecclesiastes says, you need to have a wake-up call and realize that the universe has been here way before you got here. And the universe will be here far after you leave. And then he says this about life. The reality of life is it's just a blink. And then he brings up this illustration. And I want to show you this, okay? Now pay attention. Is everybody, everybody still with me? Is this good so far? The author, or the, the, the critic of Ecclesiastes says, we all talk about life. We all talk about how big life is, wonderful life is, everything. And he brings up this word, hevel. Hevel. And he says, this candle, this light isn't life. Let me show you exactly what life is. Watch closely, watch closely, watch closely. That is hevel. It's just a streak of smoke and this is what your life is like. Watch. I'm going to show you again. He says in all of life it can really come down to a little bit can affect it. One tiny little thing can redirect it. Your as tossed back and forth by the things that happen in life, like smoke with the air conditioner on. 
Life is meaningless. The reason I want to bring this up is because that may be your struggle with God. And God's just not real and God's just not here. But here's the fun thing about the critic in Ecclesiastes. He's actually a believer. He's he's not an agnostic person. He's not an atheist. He actually believes in God. He's just seen this randomness of life. And he speaks up and he says two things that I think are really important. He says, the first thing I've noticed about life is in spite of us not knowing everything, I've still seen that we need to have a fear of God because God is still control in control of it all. Okay? Even a guy who's been through it, even a guy who had issues, he's able to say, you got to stop and realize there is still a God and he is in control. Okay? And the second thing he says is this, and I think this is so good. Maybe we want to be in control so much that it makes us out of control when it comes to things that only God can be in control of. Here's this critic that jumps in and goes, I've noticed two things. One, God's still in control, and we need to have a fear of the Lord. And number two, if life is really a vapor, and it's but a blink in the whole story of eternity, maybe we are not in control as much as we think we are. And our best bet is to give control to our Father in heaven And maybe start appreciating more the little things. Like, you should watch a sunset and a sunrise. You should appreciate a good conversation. You should appreciate the person you're sitting down to with right now a little bit more. And quit trying to be so in control of their life that it makes you both out of control. You both should chase the Lord with all of your heart. Because if life is but a vapor, don't you want to make the most out of life? There's some things that are going to be of control that you're going to have a hand in. There's going to be some things that you just trust God and know he's going to get you through it. And the critic speaks up and brings up some powerful points that you can't change God. You can fight him. You can struggle against him. You can push against him. You can be angry against him. But God is perfect and you are not. And this is the story of where we fit in the God story. But the fun thing about Ecclesiastes is, is that the author gets the last word. So the critic goes off and off. And to the author, he sends him home, tells him thank you for coming, and then he finishes his writing. And the author says this. I get the last word in this story. And the thing that I do know, because I'm not the critic, is that whatever the critic says about life, we do know this. Come on, you can do it. Your life does have meaning. Don't let the skeptic convince you that God is not in control of your life and he does not have a purpose for your life when your life is full of purpose and full of plan and your only best day is going to come from the day that God gives you. And he says this, God will clear the heaven someday. It means that sometimes there's things that we can't figure out and life seems so random and it's so out of control In today's present day, you may can only see but a bit, but there will be a day that you see fully. You stand before your Father in heaven and what was once heaven becomes as clear as day that he was in control the whole time. And in one moment you can think, how can I ever believe in God? But when you stand before him, you can go, oh my gosh, I had no clue that you were in here the whole time. Trinity of God, so perfect and unified in control of the universe beyond anything we can imagine or think was able to come to earth and walk with us and talk with us and teach with us all because you are the center of his universe. And though you may not have every answer to every question, one day God will reveal and remove the heaven. Some questions that we got Here's another question. Very familiar to the the other one. Does God care about my struggles? Yeah. Does God even care? 
Does God even care? And maybe your life is totally wrapped around some hevel right now. Where are we going to move? What are we going to do? Where did she go? Where did he go? Does God even care about me? And I hope after today you realize that you are his child. He loves you. And one day, all the heaven will be removed. There's a family this morning who is here. They've lost their business. They came up for prayer. We've been talking about this for several weeks. And when I came up and talked to them today, I just turned to them. I said, you know, you feel you. Is the word hevel. And they go, when you said hevel, we immediately knew. Why does life happen like it happens? We're going to lose everything. And I turned to them, I said, but what do you have to understand? And I think you know. And they nodded their head when I was saying this. You don't know if God is removing you from this business because something may happen that you don't need to be in that building and you need to move on to the next chapter. This may save a child's life. This may save your life. This may provide a whole other opportunity that you could have never done where you're at, that you're able to do. You've just got to realize that the hevel tells us God isn't there, but the randomness of life should reveal that you're not in control of everything God is. And you trust Him with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind. Do we have the other question? Is there another bigger question? Was there another one? Yeah. They say the good die young, and some do. If God loves me so much, why did He make my dad suffer through terrible cancer? And me literally watch him die day by day. He was only 56 years old. I was nowhere ready to lose my amazing father. Now his only granddaughter will only have stories I tell uh, her about him and remember him by. Why do terrible people live to be 85, 90 years old? And why do murderers still get to, murderers still get to live? Yet my dad had to die. It's, it's, it's a great question. It's a great question. And guess what? I don't have any answers. But I think we should stop and pause and realize that you're not the only person in the world who's ever asked that question. Now, my, the faith in me says this. If you are ever sick in this church, we are going to believe for your healing. We stand on the promises of God. We trust in the Lord with all of our heart. We have seen healings take place. And then there's other times that we just have to turn and go, life's but a vapor anyway. And it must have been time for me to go. But we're praying for healing. We've seen healings. Let me tell you right now. So many times we put our faith in other people. We need to trust in the Lord with all of our heart. We need to lean not on our own understandings. But in all of our ways, we need to acknowledge that He is God and He is in control. And He will direct our paths. What if we quit fighting against God? What if we quit trying to move God and change God and make Him fit to our needs? And what if we quit trying to move the rock and what if we started building our life upon the rock? And what if you just finally let go and said, God, I don't, I don't understand everything, but I know I need you. This is the one who built his house upon the rock. And he was called wise. And the storms raged in the and, and the waves came, but it could not affect the house. But not like the one who built their house on the sinking sand. Who when the storm came and the winds blow and the seas rose, it washed away the foundation and so did the house. Because the fool built himself upon the sand, put, built his life upon the sand. I hope today helped. I hope this series is helping. But I hope today opened a little bit further of the broadness and the wonderfulness of our perfect God. Would you pray? Father, we love you. And we thank you for who you are. And Father, I want to pray for the person who in this room right now is just living up. They know what heaven looks like. It just seems so meaningless. One minute they're here, one minute they're gone. One minute we have, one minute we don't. And just like the author of Ecclesiastes says, one thing I've seen and I get the last word is that there is meaning to this life. And all and perfect things happen to those who serve the Lord, who are called according to His purpose. So Father, I pray that we would chase after You and want more of You and to seek after You and that as we seek, we will find. As we knock, you will answer when we search for you with 
all of our heart. Father, I also want to turn to you and I'll pray for those folks in the room who just kind of dawned on today. I know about God, but I don't know God. And I've kind of taken this thing at a shallow level. I just kind of thought if you showed up at church, you were saved. I kind of thought if you sang the songs, you knew Jesus. But now all of a sudden you realize the depth and the width of the pursuit to chase after you with all of our heart. Father, today I pray that you would reveal some things in our lives that we should stop and take a look at. As we ask questions, God, I pray that you would provide the answers. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to have the prayer team come forward. And and this is very important. We're going to close today. I've I've gone a little bit over. Did y'all get anything out of today? Did that help a little bit? Okay. Um, Yeah, don't, don't quit turning in questions. We're going to have a great time next week. Our prayer team is going to be up here, okay? If you're in the room and there's just some hevel in your life, just some things, you need to be reassured. I want you to pray with somebody who genuinely is believing for God to do something, a miracle in your life. God's not done with your story. God's not done with your story, okay? So you may want to go to him and just walk up to him and say, listen, will you pray for me? This is a little bit of the hevel I'm carrying, okay? At the same time, Pastor Jeff and I are going to be over here. And if you're in this room, and the one thing, if there's one thing to define what's happening in your heart right now, it's this. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. And we can make that happen today to where you can turn to your Father and say what needs to be said, do what needs to be done, to then follow Him and to know that your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And there's life in the one, the author who gives life. So if you would, let's stand to our feet. Cowboy Junction, it's time for us to love God, love people, and have no limits in our life. I love you. Jesus loves you. Don't you ever forget it. God bless you guys. Have a great week in the Lord. See you later.